Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 147 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Today's main story, parents, teachers, and school boards are facing urgent and difficult decisions about whether and how to send kids back to school. Part of why that's so hard is that we still don't know enough about what this virus does to children and those around them. But first, here's what happened in virus news today. The sped-up timeline to make a vaccine doesn't mean it won't be safe. That's according to Anthony Fauci, the U.S. government's top infectious disease expert, who spoke to Bloomberg Television today. We we pay particular attention to safety and the rapidity with which we are moving relates more to technological advances in how you can make a vaccine even before you start testing it. That makes me confident that we are going to do everything we can to determine safety. Fauci has said the government's strategy is to fund several vaccine projects in the hopes one or more will be effective. That creates a financial risk, he says, but not a health one. The Chicago public school system, the third largest in the U.S., backed away from a plan for part-time in-person attendance blended with remote learning and will conduct all classes online. The district will assess if it's safe to open to hybrid learning in November. The decision comes as case numbers rise in the city and is based on public health data and survey results from a large portion of parents who are not yet comfortable sending their children to school, according to a statement from the city. Finally, some new data suggests that transfusions of blood rich with antibodies from recovered COVID-19 patients can reduce the death rate in hospitalized patients by half. That's according to a report in the Wall Street Journal that cited data from researchers at a Mayo Clinic webinar. The data was submitted to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, but hasn't been published in a journal or subject to peer review. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. 
Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. And now for today's main story. Earlier this year, school gates around the world slammed shut. By early April, some 1.5 billion young people were staying home somewhere in the world as part of a broader lockdown to counter the novel coronavirus. The drastic measure worked in many places. Now, as fall approaches, attention is turning back to a pillar of a pandemic resilient society schools. The role of children in driving transmission of the coronavirus isn't clear. And what we know about past respiratory infections isn't a lot of help. But as Bloomberg senior editor Jason Gale finds out, some clearer trends are emerging. Back in January, in the first month of the pandemic, I wrote a story based on a study in the Lancet Medical Journal. It was about six members of a family from the southern Chinese city of Shenzhen who'd spent the new year with relatives in Wuhan. Most of them caught the coronavirus while they were visiting the city and became sick with COVID-19, the disease it causes, after they got home. When they were getting tested, the parents of a 10-year-old boy insisted that he also have a CT scan of his chest, even though he had no apparent symptoms. His doctors caved and did the scan. Unexpectedly, they found the child did have pneumonia, and a follow-up swab confirmed he was infected with a newly identified SARS-CoV-2 virus. The authors of the Lancet paper said the child was shedding virus without symptoms, and such cryptic cases of walking pneumonia might serve as a possible source to propagate the outbreak. Six months later, the role of children in the pandemic continues to baffle. I asked Dr. Thomas Feil, president of the Infectious Diseases Society of America, what he makes of the evidence about kids in the coronavirus. Now that's a big issue, Jason, particularly right now here because everybody's thinking about reopening schools. Thomas is chair of the Infectious Disease Division at Sumer Health, a hospital system in Akron, Ohio. He's had quite a bit of experience with kids and respiratory infections, but none of that has been especially useful with this virus. It's much different than all other respiratory infections because I can tell you, I have uh, a five and an eight-year-old grandchildren I interact with a lot. And I can tell you, every time they get a cold, my wife and I get a cold, okay? They spread it to us. And we know very well that if you look at um, another significant respiratory infection, influenza, children are a big source of transmission within the community. I mean, if you can control influenza in children, you're going to really control it in the adults as well. But this is not that case. This is so different. Children are typically super spreaders of respiratory germs, and that makes it puzzling that kids don't seem to be major transmitters of SARS-CoV-2. Children are relatively absent among hospitalised patients as well. Initially, it was thought that it was because they're less likely to become seriously ill once infected. Later studies indicate that those of primary school age, at least, may be less likely to catch the virus in the first place. There are studies to suggest, uh, at least and imply, that children, depending, and particularly young children, 
uh, number one, are less susceptible to serious infection, but more importantly, transmit less. Last Friday, the CDC published an account of a large outbreak of COVID-19 at a summer camp in Georgia. There were almost 600 campers, staff and trainees at the event, which started on June 17. It wrapped up early, a week later after a teenage staff member developed chills and tested positive for SARS-CoV-2. All up, 260 people, or 44%, were infected. Some 56% of staff caught the virus, as did just over half the campers aged 6 to 10. In fact, the virus seemed to spread more among these younger kids than older children and adults. It's estimated that people younger than 18 make up somewhere between 2% and 5% of all laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 cases, and that's well below that age group's share of the global population, which hovers at around 30%. The propensity of children to transmit SARS-CoV-2 to other people is anything but clear. This is a really big area of unknown in terms of the science. This is Dr. Caitlin Rivers. She's an epidemiologist at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security in Baltimore, Maryland. We know that children are capable of spreading, particularly children who develop symptoms. But thankfully, children are at lower risk of severe illness than adults, and so many of them have asymptomatic infections, meaning they don't have any symptoms at all. And what we don't know is whether those children are likely to transmit and how often that happens. Compared to adults, children with COVID-19 typically have milder symptoms that are mostly limited to the nose and throat and upper airway, and they rarely require hospitalization. Understanding the prevalence of asymptomatic infection is harder because you don't know where these cases are unless people happen to get tested. Finding people who are infected but have no symptoms sometimes happens as part of efforts to trace and test those who have been in prolonged or close contact with a COVID-19 case. And that makes it very difficult also to follow them and to see do they spread, to whom do they spread. And so that's why there's a lot of unknowns right now about children. And that's where the research is really uh, trying to learn more. Although some research points to younger children being less likely to spread SARS-CoV-2, certain things about them makes them potential virus vectors. There are a few common behaviors in children that do make them more likely to spread infectious disease. The first is they're not as good at personal hygiene and they're not really able, particularly the young children, to observe things like physical distancing and mask use. I think we're learning actually that children are capable of a lot more of that than we ever thought because we see kids all the time observing those behaviors in this current pandemic. But on average, I think they're less compliant than adults. And they also, particularly for kids who are in childcare or who go to school, have a lot more contacts than adults. What about older children? In terms of the behavior patterns, I think older children are obviously more able to comply with physical distancing, hand hygiene, mask use. And so from that perspective, it would be safer to be around older children. Uh, We don't see any really strong differences in disease severity between very young children and very old children. So that doesn't weigh in too heavily, but we do see that infants under the age of one are at higher risk of severe illness than the, the, the one plus to 18 range. Scientists in London found that clinical symptoms manifest in only 21% of infections in 10 to 19-year-olds, rising to 69% in people older than 70. 
a handful of fatal paediatric cases has been reported, mostly in kids who are already very sick with cancer or some other life-threatening condition. Also, a dangerous inflammatory syndrome has been associated with kids, but it's very rare. There are several theories why younger people in general may be less susceptible to COVID-19. Some scientists have posited that the disease might be sparing children because they're less exposed to the virus, with school closures and distancing measures largely isolating them. It's possible children mount a more robust initial immune response to the virus, giving the body a better shot at fending it off and avoiding some complications adults get. It's also been suggested that the receptor the virus uses to invade human cells is less mature in children, making it harder for it to cause an infection. There's also the fact that younger people are less likely to have hypertension, type 2 diabetes and other chronic conditions known to increase the severity of COVID-19. Caitlin Rivers says that although children are generally at low risk of severe illness, it's not just children in schools who need to be considered in deciding when and how to bring kids safely back to the classroom. It's also adults and this is their workplace. And so we need to consider their health and safety as well in this in this decision-making process and acknowledge that they are the ones who are really at high risk of severe illness in, in thinking through this problem. Caitlin says the level of coronavirus circulating in the community also needs to be taken into consideration because it'll be much harder to reopen schools when the community is experiencing a high burden of disease and communities need to weigh the consequences of not opening schools too. There are costs, if you will, associated with online learning as well. And that not all communities or not all groups of children, not all age groups will be well suited to online learning. And so it's really about balancing those competing risks and and benefits and challenges. I think for communities that do choose to reintroduce in-person learning, making the classroom safer looks a lot like introducing the interventions that we've all become accustomed to observing in our everyday lives. That means physical distancing, which in this case means keeping kids apart, mask use for everyone, not just teachers, but also the kids, Improving ventilation to try to get some fresh air in and providing as many opportunities as possible for hand hygiene. And that can include both soap and water or alcohol-based hand sanitizer. And it's really those suite of interventions taken together that will reduce the risk of transmission in the classroom. When it comes to questions about the coronavirus, children and classrooms, there are no easy answers. But information based on science and public health can at least inform better choices for the health and well-being of everyone. That was Jason Gale. And that's it for our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, Magnus Henriksen, and me, Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Jason Gale. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Francesca Levy and Rick Schein. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening.
countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.